Well, good afternoon, everybody. Happy Easter. He is risen. All right, you got that one down. It's great to see you guys. If you're a church family, welcome to this great celebration. If you're a guest today, we are so glad that you are with us today, and we hope that uh, your heart will be touched, your mind will be touched, then you'll walk out of here thinking different, being different uh, than when you came in. And so uh, before I dive into our teaching time, I do want to echo a couple things from Pastor Rick. Uh, One is we really are counting on all these response cards coming in today. It's just a little tariff on the bottom. And so please make sure you get those. On the back, there's that ABCD. I'll explain those at the end of our time and how uh, you can indicate which one of those letters best captures where you're at right now. And so I'll talk about that in a little bit. And if you're a guest today, as you uh, write your name and information on that, we're not going to spam you. (laughs) We just want to get an idea of where people are coming from and how many guest we have. And you can put a little star or asterisk next to your name if you're a guest today. That would help us. And if you are a guest, uh, we have a little gift we would like to give you as a thank you for being here. So please stop by our guest reception area on the way out. And we'd love to give that uh, to you as just a way of saying thank you for joining us here on Easter. And Easter is a time where we celebrate the greatest hope of mankind. And we're people that need hope. When you look at the headlines that we have to endure and how some of those really rock our spirits, when we think about even our own personal disappointments or difficulties with sickness or loss or tragedy, uh, we're a people that need hope. And we need a hope that's going to last, a living hope. Not a hope that's going to die, but a living hope. And that really is the message of Easter, that we have a hope unlike any other that's available to us all. And it's all based on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the most important, crucial, significant part of Christianity. And as Christians, we not only believe that it's uh, true, but we believe it's the most important truth when we look at the resurrection. And so one of the biggest questions regarding Christianity is, why do you believe the resurrection? Why do you believe a man that was killed, actually uh, buried, came back to life? And this is one of several questions we're going to tackle in the weeks to come. Today we're launching a six-week series called Big Questions. And we're going to tackle six big questions related to God and Christianity. And so uh, next week we're going to look at um, why do we believe the Bible? Because as believers in Christ, we go all the way back to Scripture. That's our authority. That's our rule. And so we look at the Scriptures. That's where we get everything. Why do we believe the Bible? The week after that, uh, what, what do we do with this situation with evil? and, and uh, suffering when God's supposed to be good. We're going to look at that. And then the following three weeks, I don't know what we're teaching yet because it's up to you guys. So we want to invite you to ask questions about God or Christianity that maybe you have had or maybe uh, more precisely questions that some of your unbelieving family members, friends, or neighbors have. And so there's going to be a number on the screen this morning. If you uh, send a question mark, if you text a question mark, to that number, uh, then we'll be able to send you a reply and you can send in your question or some of the questions that you have that we'll tackle. So that's what we're going to be doing over the next uh, five to six weeks. But today, it's very appropriate on Easter to say, why do we believe in the resurrection of Jesus? Now, many of you that are here as Christians believe in the resurrection. But the question I think I have for you is, do you know why? If you were to sit down and have a cup of coffee with a friend who didn't share your faith, and they were to ask you, why do you believe in the resurrection? What kind of answer would you give them? And oftentimes we say, well, just because I believe or just because I have faith. Those aren't bad answers. They're just not sufficient. Because anybody of any faith can say the same exact thing. And so 
what substance do you have? When someone genuinely, genuinely wants to know why you believe in the resurrection, what kind of answers are you going to give them? And some of you may be sitting here today and you don't believe in the resurrection or your jury is still out, if you will. You're like, I don't know yet. I'm, I haven't really thought about it. Well, our hope today is that you'll hear some compelling thinking that will get you to think about the resurrection differently than you ever have before. I encourage you not to just uh, neglect the empty tomb. Don't neglect the resurrection or just adopt some other skeptical answer that's been circulating for centuries because you want to have your own understanding of the resurrection. And what I share today, I share with you so you can believe and so that believers can share. And what we're about to see, what I'm about to share with you is that really the proof of the resurrection is not on the believer, but the unbeliever. When you look at the empty tomb, when you look, look at the significance of the resurrection and the end results of it, and you look at the eyewitness accounts, there's a lot more explanation needed to reasonably deny the resurrection rather than to believe in it. Because history and archaeology and theology all tilt the scales toward belief, not disbelief. And so we're going to spend our time today looking at a Bible passage, one of many, but a passage that has a pretty concise understanding and articulation of why we believe in the resurrection. And I invite you to turn there. It's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And we're going to look at verses 22, I'm sorry, 12 through 22. So open up your Bibles, fire up your Bible apps to 1 Corinthians 15, 12. And if you're here today and you don't have a Bible, we're going to put these verses on the screen for your convenience, but highly encourage you to get your hands on a Bible. Download a good Bible app so you can look at it with your own eyes and touch it with your own hands. Take your own notes as you study a deep spiritual things. And if you don't own a Bible, we'd love to give you one today. Happy Easter, free Bible for you on your way out. Uh, all of us look at 1 Corinthians 15, and we're going to be looking at verses 12 and some of the verses following and look through the lens of this passage about why we can believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So 1 Corinthians 15, 12, let's start there. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified that God uh, that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it's true, that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope, in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. And so we're going to launch from this passage uh, that God used a man named the Apostle Paul to write. Apostle Paul was a filled with the Holy Spirit, given this message uh, to capture one of many of his writings. And we're going to launch from this into the reasons we believe in the resurrection of Jesus. Just three of the reasons. There's more than that, but here's three based on this passage. The first is the empty tomb. We can believe in the resurrection because of the empty tomb. Look at verse 12 again. It says that Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, meaning that a man was killed, a man was buried, and now he's raised. And when Jesus rises from the grave, he left behind an empty tomb. And that tomb still is empty. And we have to answer to the empty tomb. And Paul really goes after some of the anti-resurrection thinking at the time. He says, I know some of you don't believe in the resurrection, but think about this. If there's no resurrection, sure, Jesus didn't rise. 
which means we're not going to rise. But if Jesus rose from the grave, that means that someday we're going to rise from the grave as well. And so he really counters some of the anti-resurrection thinking of his day, making an argument for the resurrection and pointing to the empty tomb as uh, exhibit A for the reason we can believe. And this is really a showdown between hope and hopelessness. Because if Jesus didn't rise, there's hopelessness. But if Jesus did rise, we have the ultimate hope. Now, the Bible teaches that the body and soul are integrated and that at death they're temporarily separated and then they'll be reunited again at the resurrection. And God is providing the empty tomb as evidence for that understanding. And so when we look at the empty tomb, believers in Christ say, The reason it's empty is because of the resurrection of Jesus. Just as biblical prophecies said would happen, just as Jesus himself taught and predicted. And so, uh, again, the burden of proof falls heavily for those who don't believe. What do you do with an empty tomb where a verifiably dead Jesus was verifiably laid, guarded, sealed, and somehow raised? You have to answer the questions. And the enemies of Christ took on the opportunity to try to answer those questions. And they put together some conspiracy theories about why the empty tomb is there, which is interesting. It's giving evidence that the tomb is empty. So now they have to come up with reasons to explain that. And you might be familiar with some of those leading theories, such as the swoon theory, which is Jesus passed out, didn't die, the hallucination theory, the stolen body theory, the wrong tomb theory. But when you look into all of those explanations, they quickly start to deconstruct. They quickly start to unravel based really, honestly, on common sense and historical documentation. For example, professional executioners, as in the Romans, they didn't mistake Jesus for dead on the cross. They knew what they were doing. And if they did mistake Jesus for dead, Jesus Christ would be the only documented case of someone to survive a Roman crucifixion. Okay? He'd be the only person ever in the history of the world. Also, we're not going to believe that hundreds of people all just happen to have the same hallucination. Never mind that the appearances of Jesus were spread out over 40 days in different locations, some up to 80 miles away from Jerusalem. And so, no, we're not going to buy that they all had the same dream or hallucination or misunderstanding. Also, if the body was stolen, if the enemy stole the body, once the rumor of the resurrection happened, guess what they would have done? Oh, never mind, here's the body. If the disciples would have stole the body, once they started dying, one of them would have had enough self-preservation to go, yeah, I'm not dying for this, you know, and they would have produced the body. But no, they went to the graves knowing that they saw what they saw. And as far as the empty tomb, if they would have happened to go to the empty tomb, there's a myriad of people that could have set them in straight and took them to the right tomb. And so all those reasons quickly unravel and leaves us with the undisputable fact that the tomb of Jesus was and is still empty. I just want to give you a quick visual for this. Spoiler alert, this is not the actual tomb of Jesus, okay? So don't get really excited about that. This is not his actual tomb. But this is a tomb in Israel that's a replica. And when you look at that, this is a visual image that we have to reconcile in our minds and in our hearts and our spirits. There's an empty tomb in Israel that Jesus was laid in that's now empty. And when you look at that, uh, the unbeliever has to go, okay, uh, I've got to come up with an explanation for that, something that's reasonable, something that's not going to unravel with all of the study that's already been done. The believer simply looks at that and goes, he gone. (laughs) You know, he's he's been risen. And so that image stirs up hope and joy and worship for the believer because of all that we have because of the resurrected Christ. 
And for the unbeliever, it should stir up curiosity, intrigue, and maybe even concern. Because if that grave's empty, there's a lot of implications you have to really look at for life and the afterlife. So again, the burden of proof of this tomb is not on the believer. <laughs> it's on the unbeliever. And I continue to share this with you so that you can believe and so that believers can share. The second reason we believe in the resurrection is because of the end results or the significance of believing in the resurrection. If Jesus didn't rise from the grave, then we've got some serious problems. If the resurrection is myth or legend or conspiracy, then the end results of believing are pretty hopeless. And the Apostle Paul goes after several of them. Let's look at them briefly. Verse 14. If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. When you look at the Greek word there in the original text, the word vain there means empty. And so if Jesus didn't rise from the grave, Christianity is empty. Teaching the scriptures are empty. Preaching Christ raised is empty. It's empty of truth. It's empty of power. It's empty of hope. But I know I'm in a room full of people that a lot of you are going, no, when I came to Christ, I didn't experience emptiness. I experienced fullness. God fully loves me fully has redeemed me and restored me and brought me into a new relationship with him. And so it's not empty. But Paul goes on. He even says in verse 15, goes a step further, that anyone preaching a risen Jesus now is lying, that they're being a false witness. If this were true, that would make the resurrection of Jesus the uh, largest hoax in all of human history that billions of people have gullibly just believed over the years. And that would mean all Bible teachers, self-included, are peddlers of a self, um, of a uh, empty hope and that we're false witnesses and false teachers. But I know who created me. I know who made me. I know who loved me. I know who died for me. I know who rose from the grave. I know who created an eternity that I'm excited to get to and a mission and a passion and a purpose now until I see that day. And so we're not peddlers of false hope. We have a real hope, a living hope, and you can have that too. Also in verse 17, significant issue. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. If Jesus didn't rise from the grave, our faith in him is absolutely futile, meaning worthless, useless. It means that we're still stuck. We're stuck in evil. We're stuck in sin. We're stuck um, with zero hope of change, and that at the end of this life, when we all stand before an eternal, perfect, holy, just, and righteous God, we don't stand a chance. If Jesus didn't rise, we don't stand a chance. And don't give in to that weak argument that somehow we're going to stand before God one day and somehow our religious activity or our good works are going to offset millions of sins. All the different ways we violated God's holiness through the way we thought, acted, behaviors, attitudes, actions, inactions, We've got millions of sins that we're going to commit in our lifetime. And outside of a risen Savior who died for them, <laughs> hopeless. We've got no chance. And so we'd be stuck. It'd be futile. But that's not the case. We know that Jesus rose from the grave and that he's conquered death and conquered sin. Also, verse 18, another problem. That those who've fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If the resurrection isn't true, then we have no hope of ever seeing any of our loved ones again after this life. And those people who've died in Christ, they died in vain pointless. And this is game over. And so there's no hope after the grave that the resurrection is true. But the resurrection is true. And the, part of the, the huge part of resurrection that we have to understand is this is Jesus proving his authority over death and the grave. The resurrection is death to death. And so we don't need to be bullied or frightened about death 
Because after death is resurrection where we get to spend forever with God in eternity. And if the resurrection didn't happen, then uh, everyone is just perished and that's it. That's why in verse 19, Paul says something so profound. He says, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. The resurrection does give hope for this life. To go, th- I mean, we're going to go through stuff. Some of you have gone through stuff, you're going through stuff now, and you're going to be going through stuff. And the resurrection gives us hope that can hold us and steady us through the trials of life. But it also gives us this hope for eternal life, heaven, that is only going to be for those who are found in Christ. But if we only have hope for this life, then we're to be pitied. All those billions of Christians that have died, all the billions of people that have followed Christ, many persecuted, many uh, martyred for their faith. It's just a sad pity that those people had that happen to them. And then Christians are now just a deceived, pitiful, hopeless group of people believing in a resurrection that didn't happen. And therefore, life really is meaningless. And death is hopeless if the resurrection isn't true. And if the tomb is not empty, and if Jesus has not been raised, then all we're doing as Christians is pitifully following moral teachings from a crazy guy or some deceiver that claimed to be God. But if the tomb is empty, then we have the ultimate hope for all humanity within our reach to receive and then to share with others. And we believe that is the case. Because without the resurrection, 2,000 years of history are left begging for explanation. The undisputable fact that Christianity, based on the resurrection, has become the largest movement in the history of the world, a movement that has outlasted empires and kingdoms, and that has spread to the majority of languages and cultures of the world, and doing so without having any political or military power, and especially in the face of violent and ruthless, constant opposition that's determined to eradicate the faith. What other faith do you know faces persecution to the level that they're trying to eradicate it and it still survives? How can it survive? It's from God. And it all comes back to the resurrection. And when you look at this, when you start to really dig and study and learn, guess what? It doesn't put pressure on the believer. It actually puts pressure to explain onto the unbeliever. But just remember, I'm sharing this so that you can believe and so that believers can share. So we know we can believe that Jesus rose from the grave because of the empty tomb, because of the end results and the significance of believing in the resurrection, and thirdly, because of eyewitness accounts. Those kids were even referencing it earlier. Uh, it means some parents are doing their jobs on the home front, and our Bible teachers and our class teachers are doing their jobs well. 1 Corinthians 15, 20, let's look at that. It says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. This is a very bold statement. In fact, Christ has raised. How can Paul be so emphatic and confident? Because this is an account of an eyewitness. Paul himself experienced a post-resurrection appearance of Christ. And he converted. He converted from being an enemy of Christianity, one who is arresting and having Christians murder. He became a follower of Christ. And just like that girl said earlier, that just doesn't happen every day. This is very compelling and powerful evidence of eyewitness accounts. That's also one of the strongest reasons to believe in the resurrection, that we have reliable testimonies of people who saw Jesus die 
and then they saw him alive. If you ever saw that, that would be something that would stick with you, right? If you buried a loved one, if you saw them put in the ground, and three days later, a week later, two weeks later, they're like, hey, what's up? You're going to remember that. And if people were to refute that, you'd be like, I know what I saw. I know it's crazy, but I saw it. And so you have all these eyewitnesses that know what they saw. And they didn't see a hallucination or a dream or they weren't misunderstanding it. It was a living, breathing, physical, touchable Jesus visibly back from the grave. The resurrection wasn't invented. It was witnessed and then captured so we could see. And hundreds of people witnessed and testified to him alive. Some were, Jesus appeared to individuals. He appeared to, you know, small groups. He appeared to a crowd of over 500 people, hundreds of people that were willing to die for what they saw. And so we need to look at these eyewitness accounts and we validate their um, testimony. And we support it because an eyewitness account has great weight. Let me just take one example out of recent months. A few months ago, we had 150 young women testify to the detestable acts of USA gymnast Dr. Larry Nasser. We look at their testimonies and we rightfully say, irrefutable, lock that guy up. Would we have discredited one girl? If one girl would have came forward and said, hey, 20 years ago, this guy did this stuff to me. Would we discredit her and say, well, you probably were imagining that. Maybe it really didn't go down that way. Maybe you're misunderstanding. What if it was 20 girls? What if it was 50? Well, it was 150, right? Well, we, we, we look at 150 witnesses and go, that's, that's overwhelming. It obviously happened. This guy needs to be locked up. And we have credibility for what happened. How come we are so willing to accept eyewitness account in some cases, but willing to reject it in other, when you've got hundreds of people that said they saw Jesus alive, and we go, eh, they probably just didn't see the right thing. They're just misunderstanding the situation. We're a walking contradiction when we go, we'll believe these eyewitnesses, but not these eyewitnesses. And not only that, it's eyewitnesses living during the time of other eyewitnesses. The enemies of Christ, the followers of Christ, people saw Jesus alive, and so as rumor of his resurrection started getting out, and within years of these events, we had documentation. We have Apostle Paul's writings. We got Mark and Matthew and Luke and John. All the Gospels were coming online years, within decades, of all these events. And we looked at that during the lifetime of all these other eyewitnesses of the life of Christ, even some uh, unbiblical ones, Jewish historians, Roman historians, Roman political leaders. There were so many people that could have easily blown the whistle and go, these people don't know what they're talking about. They're twisting the truth. But no, they didn't. They didn't refute it at all because it was obviously happening. We have eyewitness accounts during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses. Think about it this way. Some of us in this room were not here when John F. Kennedy was assassinated. Weren't here. That's 54 years ago. My grandparents told me about it. My parents told me about it, right? We've seen videos. We've seen pictures. But hey, we're pretty smart people. Videos and pictures can be edited. And they can be made up. And stories, they can be made up too. So guess what? It must not have happened. There's probably a whole generation of people that they just had a hallucination together. They, they, just, they just misunderstood the situation. No. Why do we believe it happened? For those of us who weren't even here, because we believe the eyewitness account and history. History is not something that is tested by science. It's historical accounting. And so we look at the historical accounting going, this event happened. So they didn't have TV back then. But you know what? They had historical accurate witness accounts. And so we can believe in the credibility of the eyewitnesses that saw Jesus alive. The life, 
death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is not a myth. It's not a legend. It's historical account. And if you don't believe in the resurrection, can you falsify it? Can you produce something compelling that will argue against the empty tomb, that will argue against billions of people who've been part of an unbelievable movement since the resurrection? You can't. And those who have tried, they end up actually being converted many times. There are people that have spent hours and dollars that none of us could imagine with the intent to say, I'm going to disprove the largest hoax in human history. And after doing things that a lot of us would be too lazy or too you know, disinterested in doing, when they've done the homework, guess what many of them do? Oh, this is true. This is right. I believe. They convert to Christianity. Then they write major books about how they came to this thing. And then we read them to reinforce why we believe it. Isn't God cool how he does that kind of stuff? And so this is what we're up against if we're trying to disprove the resurrection because the burden of proof is on those who don't believe to explain the accounts of the eyewitness and the transformation that they had. If there was only an empty tomb, maybe there would be a problem. If there was only eyewitness accounts, maybe there'd be a problem. But we've got an empty tomb and eyewitness accounts, game over. It's true. We just have to trust it. Those are just a few of the reasons that we can believe in the resurrection with confidence. I really like the way author and blogger John Bloom articulated this understanding. He says the empty tomb persists as the one stubborn historical fact that refuses to go away. Something simply astonishing happened that day. The claim that Jesus exited the tomb alive, as witnesses testified, has survived and overcome every attempt to refute it. And the church he established has, against all odds, spread all over the world just as he said it would. The resurrection, we can believe it with confidence, through faith, and with reason. Let's dig a little deeper. Why does it even matter? Okay, so maybe Jesus rose from the grave. Who cares? Why, why does it even matter? Look at 1 Corinthians 15 and dig down a couple more verses with me. Look at verses 21 and 22. For as by a man came death, by a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all shall be made alive. When the first man and woman were created, they were sinless. They were in perfect relationship with God, but they rebelled. And they disobeyed God, which corrupted mankind. And Adam brought sin, and he brought death into humanity. But God came. The incarnation, God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came, lived a perfect, sinless life to redeem back mankind. So Adam sinned, triggering death and triggering uh, uh, sin for the sin and death of the human race, but the Lord countered it and conquered it through the death and resurrection of Jesus. So in essence, Jesus lived the perfect life we could never live. He died the sacrificial death that we should have died so that we can be raised the way that he was raised. And so Jesus is called the first fruit. It's like, what does that even mean? The first fruit means he's the first of the harvest of resurrection bodies. Like the first bloom of a flower on a plant, like the first piece of crop that comes that's going to be followed by many more. Jesus says, this is a resurrection body. This is what you're going to get if you believe in me at the end of this life. And so he was giving us a trailer, a foretaste, he was a first fruit of the future resurrection for those who believe. You know what that's called? A living hope. 
something that we can't wait for. 1 Peter 1.3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope. Not a dead hope, not a stale hope, a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And so because Jesus is alive, hope is alive. Because Jesus has risen, hope has risen in us. And it holds us during the trials of this life and it gives us joyful anticipation of eternity. And so if the resurrection didn't happen, then all of Christianity comes undone. Nothing else Jesus taught even matters. But the burden of proof is on the unbeliever, not the believer. If you do not believe, then you have to provide more compelling and convincing explanations for everything. Good, evil, sin. Some of you go, I don't even believe in sin. Look, No one has to sit down and teach you how to be bad. We just know how to be. What's that called? Where'd that come from? How do you describe that? The unbeliever has to come up with these answers and answers about death and eternity. And honestly, when you look at a lot of the skeptic-based attempts to explain our life, there's not a lot of hope there. We're just random accidents that just kind of barfed up on the scene through, you know, all these molecules, really? Morality is fluid. And based on social constructs, and hey, your truth is your truth, and my truth is my truth, and as long as we get along, that's all fine. And by the way, when this life is over, that's it, game over, it's done. Like, there's not a lot of hope there. There's not a lot of reason there either. And so the resurrection of Jesus gives us the living hope that we so desperately need, and that God has so desperately wired us to receive it. And every person, all of us in this room, every single one of us, all of us have to come to a conclusion about the resurrection of Jesus. We have to come up with an answer. Did it happen or not? Is it true or not? Is it something we can believe or do we need to disbelieve it? There's no neutral zone. There's no middle ground. And you don't want to get this wrong because your soul, your eternity, and even really the purpose and quality of this life all hang in the balance and you've got one shot, one life to get it right. And you don't want to get it wrong. But please remember, everything I'm sharing so that you can believe and so that believers can share. And if you're sitting here today and you're realizing, man, I I don't have a relationship with Christ and I don't believe that Jesus rose from the grave. What do I do? I, I want Christ. Basically, the Bible teaches you need to do two things. One, repent. Second, believe. To repent means to turn around. You turn away from trusting in yourself or trusting in religion or trusting in works or trusting in whatever to turning to trusting in God and what he's provided through Christ. And then you believe. You believe that Jesus Christ is God. You believe that he died on the cross for sin. You believe that he raised from the grave. And through that repentance and through that belief in your heart, you become part of this relationship with God and you, you become saved and you have eternity. You have this living hope that we're talking about. And in a minute, I'm going to pray with you guys. And for those of you who don't believe, I'm going to give you an opportunity to articulate that through a prayer. It's not me. It's not the prayer. It's just you saying, okay, I I don't know where to start. Here's a starting place. But for the rest of you who believe, I've got an assignment for you. And for those of you who know me, you're like, no kidding. No shock there. All right. Here's the first part of your assignment. It's twofold. One, ask another believer why they believe in the resurrection and why it matters. Start with your spouse, your kids, your family, mom, dad, brother, sister, friend, whatever. Sit down with another believer and just say, hey, why do you believe in the resurrection? And why does it matter? And just encourage one another, challenge one another, and listen to that conversation. 
The second part of your assignment is this. Ask an unbelieving neighbor, friend, coworker, someone that you know, someone that you're in relationship with, ask them what they believe about the resurrection and listen to them. Listen to their thinking, listen to their heart, listen to their mind, listen to their journey. And then also ask them permission if you can share why you believe in the resurrection and why it matters and just see what God will do with that conversation. I do have a couple recommended reads for deeper study. There's a plethora of things out there that you can dive into to see more on the resurrection. Here's just a couple of the recommends. Uh, if you want to start, if you're, a, if you're a student or a kid, or you just kind of want to start with step one, there's a great little book called Case for Easter. Uh, we were handing those out this weekend, but they're gone, all right? Uh, this was written by Lee Strobel, and he was a skeptic that became a believer. They did a movie on his story called Case for Christ last year. Recommend watching that. It's a great portrayal of his life. But here he just captures some of the basic face. This is literally the last book in this building. Who wants it? Okay. Oh, I saw a hand way back there. Here it comes. Okay. Three rows back, the young lady that raised her hand right there in the black shirt. Yes. Okay. All yours. Thank you. All right. If you want to dig a little deeper, uh, there's a book called The Case for the Resurrection of Jesus by two uh, scholars, that are, like, they just get into beast mode when it comes to explaining the resurrection. Gary Habermas and Michael Lacona. And you can even go to the Gary Habermas website, and there's a bunch of scholarly works, scholarly writings, scholarly journals, uh, video debates, all sorts of stuff about the resurrection. Uh, go there, have a resurrection party, you'll learn more, okay? Uh, also, the resurrection has been changing lives for over 2,000 years, and it's still changing lives. And we've been having baptisms all weekend of people who've been sharing uh, their story. And so uh, we don't have one for the service, but we're going to show one from last night of a gal named Sarah. And she's going to explain her journey to Christ. But before we show that, I want to come back to this card today. Because we're hoping all of you turn this card in today, please. And here's what the letters mean. And I'm counting on you to put which one captures where you're at today. If you already believe in Jesus, just put a big X in the A. I already believe. Okay, and you, you'll do that with a smile on your face, knowing that you know Jesus. If today you're taking the first step of belief, put an X on the B. Today I'm believing for the very first time ever in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And mark that B. Maybe you're going, this is very intriguing. I'm not ready to believe, but I'd like to learn more. And you're considering the claims of Christ. Maybe you've got some questions. Put a big X on C for considering. And turn that in with your information. And we'll get in touch with you over the next couple weeks. And we'll say, hey, you marked C on your card. How can we help? What questions do we have? Uh, how can we be of help to you as you're exploring the claims of Christ? And even D, I, I don't believe. I don't believe in the resurrection of Christ. You can mark D if you want. And on the back, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Like, what's, what's the hang-up for you? What's the deal-breaker for you and why you don't believe? I'd love to know that as well. So that's how you can mark that card. But before we watch Sarah's baptism, let's close our time in prayer, close our teaching time in prayer before we go to the baptism and more worship. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for today. And thanks for the chance that uh, we have to open up the words you've given us with confidence, with curiosity, just to devour the eyewitness testimonies and the writings that you've provided in your word. Father, I thank you for my brothers and sisters in Christ here. Lord, may you equip them, empower them, encourage them to share what they believe and why. Lord, even lead them to those special conversations with people who are seeking and searching, Lord. Father, pray for those who don't know Christ yet. And Lord, for those who are still exploring and thinking, Lord, would you just be with them? 
just walk with them and draw them and speak to them as they're exploring and thinking, even maybe praying about what they've heard today. And for any of you that are ready to receive Christ now, you can just pray this prayer with me in your heart or out loud. It's not me. It's not the prayer. It's just a little bit of a template to help you. You can just say, dear God, I'm sinful. I'm lost. I'm broken. And I need you. I understand that you love me. I understand that you died on the cross for my sins. I understand that you rose from the grave to give me new life and a living hope. And so today, I repent and I turn to Jesus, the one who died for my sins and rose from the grave. Come into my life. I want to follow you forever. In Jesus' name, we all sit together.